Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Hang Time Podcast. My name is John Schumann of NBA.com. I am in Toronto with my man, Sean Powell, and it is Monday, June the 10th, and we are getting ready for Game 5 of the Finals, where the Toronto Raptors have the opportunity to win their first ever NBA championship. It was just 16 days ago I was here for Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals when the Raptors beat the Bucks. And that felt like the Raptors championship there. Like that was, you know, it was their first conference championship in in franchise history. They were going to the finals. And in that arena, in that city, in this city, it felt like they had won the championship. Kyle Lowry was giddy on the court as Kawhi Leonard was shooting free throws with a few seconds left. And, you know, they were going to play the Golden State Warriors, who were the dynasty. And now... 16 days later, here we are, and the Raptors are up 3-1 in this series. It's a bit surreal. I was at an event last night that Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer put on, was there with a bunch of Raptors fans, and for them, it's just you know totally surreal that the Raptors are here. Spent a lot of time with my guys, the starters, last night. They sort of can't believe that we're here. And and for me, I, I like even as a just a neutral observer, it, I think it's kind of crazy that we're here at this point with the Raptors, you know, just one went away from a, from a championship. Obviously there's a lot of factors there, but man, this team was just incredible in Oakland in games three and four, obviously game three the, with, with Golden State missing Clay Thompson and Kevon Looney. In addition to Kevin Durant, the Raptors got a little bit of a break, but the last, I want to say 15, 16 minutes of game four was the Raptors just playing at a, a higher level maybe than they ever have to get that second game in Oakland and make, and, and obviously there's just a huge difference between three, one and two, two Sean, before we get into the Warriors and, and Kevin Durant's status for game five, what, what has, what is, what's your big takeaway from what the Raptors did in those two games in Oakland? Well, it seems like anytime you discuss a team taking advantage of another team that's missing important parts. People want to shame you as you're taking away from their victory. You're not giving them their credit, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we have to be real here. They took two games in Oakland against a Warriors team that didn't have Looney, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson in one game, and then didn't have Kevin Durant in the other game. So, it's not that we can't ignore that. It's not that we're not giving the Raptors their credit if we bring that up. 
That's just the reality. It's the same thing when in 1989, when Byron Scott hurt his hamstring before the NBA Finals against the Pistons, and then Magic Johnson hurt his hamstring in game one, and the Lakers had to go the rest of that series with David Rivers, the point guard, the Pistons got a break. And we can say that. And we can say that without diminishing their championship, you know, putting the whole asterisk behind it. That's just the way it is. The Raptors got a break in Oakland. They won two. The reality was that the Warriors were weakened. Okay. But then there's the other reality. If the Raptors are up 3-1. Now they have a chance to clinch at home. And you discussed the hysteria in this city regarding the Raptors and the fact that they're on the brink. And I've never seen anything like it, just in terms of how, you know, the, the support uh, from, from a city regarding an NBA team and in, in, in the NBA championship. Yes, th- th- there's been great support in past NBA finals, but I never, I can never recall people gathering outside the arena 24 hours before the next game, camping out, bringing food. Suddenly it's just one person and then there's a dozen people and then there's a hundred people in a chilly rain in, in Toronto. And these people have no promise of getting inside. This is just to stand outside for the game. And there's no guarantee they'll win the game. So I've never seen anything like it. I love the fact that Messiah Ujiri, the, the Raptors president, arrived at midnight outside Scotiabank Arena and greeted those fans who showed up. And they, and they were overwhelmed that someone from the organization would join them for that. I thought it was the right thing to do. It doesn't surprise me Messiah is that kind of guy anyway, but it just shows you the level of support here in Toronto. Maybe it would be different if the Raptors were going for the third championship. Sure, the first mm-hmm. championship also always brings out this sort of mania. But shoot, I've been doing this for a little bit now, and I've never seen anything like it. It's fun, like I, I, you know, I, like it's a, I'm a I'm a neutral observer, but I've been I've covered almost every Raptors series uh, in the last six or seven years, whatever it is. And it's kind of fun to watch, you know, it's, it's, you know, having seen all the disappointment um, through the years, it's cool. And this building, you know, like I said, was electric for game six of the conference finals, um, especially once the Raptors made that 26 to three run that turned that game around. I imagine it's going to be even crazier tonight for game five they've announced already that they don't have a an, a singer for the canadian anthem they're just going to let the fans sing it which 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 will be very cool you know sometimes they have a, an anthem singer he just sings one line and then the fans take over but uh it sounds like they're gonna just have the fans sing it from from the start which which uh should be pretty cool but i like i like to go back like the game four thir- end of the third quarter the Raptors went on an 18 to six run. They scored 18 points on their last 10 possessions of the third quarter in game four. The score was tied at 61 with about a little more than four minutes to go. And then they went on that 18 to six run. A lot of it was Kawhi Leonard, obviously. I think that was his sort of takeover moment in this series was that end of the third quarter. He scored 17 in the third. I think he, I think it was maybe three or three at the, at the beginning of the third quarter. And then, and then most of that at the end of that third quarter. But he got some help, obviously, with uh, Serge Ibaka, hit a couple of jumpers. So it's – and I, I just thought, you know, they just – and even in the fourth quarter, they just sort of took over and the Warriors were were a little bit out of sorts. You know, there was one play where where Leonard was driving on, on Clay Thompson and Steph Curry – Thompson didn't necessarily need help, but Curry sort of helped off the strong side corner, gambled a little bit, didn't get the steal, and then left Danny Green wide open for a three. That was a big shot. And you saw Clay Thompson just look at – at Curry, like, what are you doing? 
And you could just see that the, the Warriors were, were beaten a little bit um, in the fourth quarter of, of game four. It was a little bit remarkable to see. Um, and I think, I think we can sort of move our discussion to the Warriors now. Like, Katie's injury aside, I mean, do you see signs like this is, like, I don't know how to say it. Like, I, I, statistically, you can see signs that the, the Warriors were not the same team this year. And and obviously this series is not over and they can absolutely win three games in a row. They could win any game on any given night. We know that. But their defense just hasn't been the same this year as it has in the past. You know, you, you could definitely chalk it up to the lack of continuity and, and especially in these playoffs, they've had 10 different starting lineups. But Sean, for you who've watched this this team closer than I have for most of the season, are you, is it surprising to you to see this just from the Warriors' perspective, even despite the absence of, of Durant? I actually thought their defense was pretty good throughout the playoffs, uh, particularly in the Houston series when they needed to uh, put the clamps on Chris Paul, uh, James Harden. They did. They found a way to neutralize Damian Lillard. Of course, Lillard was injured a little bit in that Western Conference final when he uh, hurt his shoulder. Looney fell on him. But at the same time, the Warriors played that series without Kevin Durant, and they found a way to win. Uh, defensively. What I take away from the Warriors right now is I look at the the important parts, you know, putting Kevin Durant aside, I look at some of the other important parts played big roles for this team in championships past. And I don't really think they're playing up to their capabilities, certainly not beyond their capabilities. Uh, I would say Andre Iguodala, you could see he just doesn't have his legs. Um, I know he had, you know, the big shot to win in game two, but that was a little bit of an aberration for him throughout most of the postseason. He's had some spurts here and there against the Rockets, uh, against the Blazers. But, you know, they're maybe they're trying to squeeze him a little bit more than they should because Durant's not here. He's having to play more minutes than what he did during a regular season. Maybe he's being asked to do too much at this stage of his career at age 35. But he's not the player who helped them win past championships. The other player is Draymond Green. I'm a little mixed. Uh, regarding Draymond because in some ways he has been very good rebounding, certainly passing, uh, setting a tone here, there defensively, but he's been extremely reckless with the ball. A lot of turnovers, some missed free throws, left wide open for three-point shots, key three-point shots, shots that would either uh, continue uh, a, a streak or start one, and he's failed on those important three-point shots. So I look at the totality of Draymond's grain, and I have to say it's been a little bit disappointing only because it seems that when he gets an open shot, it's a turnover. You know, it's not a positive. It's a turnover. And also when he's bringing the ball up court, he's being a little bit reckless with the ball. So Sean Livingston, another player, another vet coming off the bench. You know, again, you know, I don't want to be too hard on him. He, again, he's advancing his career, but there are certain times when he just really doesn't have it as he did in playoffs past the, the Warriors bench strength and numbers slogan, which originated with Steve Kerr. It certainly helped them in the past. You know, you could go back to, you had a younger Andrew Bogut, you had Barbosa, you had David West, all those guys came in and played key roles. I don't necessarily see that with the exception of Looney, of course, but then he got hurt, but I really don't see that from the Warriors perspective. And then obviously a lot has had to come on the shoulders of Steph Curry, who did have the 47-point game. It has been pretty good for the most part. But I do think that he's probably, you know, he's carrying a, a big load. 
basically, with Thompson being hurt and limited, and then with Kevin Durant uh, not in the lineup. Yeah, to your point, like Iguodala and Draymond Green are combined six for 28 from three-point range in this series. And I thought in game four, there's a lot of times where Draymond especially just passed up open threes to try to, you know, keep the ball moving, but end up forcing into something that wasn't any better, really. Um, in fact, he had a off a Curry drive, he had a wide open corner three in the first half of game four, and he shot it off the side of the backboard. And that was the last jump shot that he even attempted in game four. And that, like I said, that was in the first half. And then Iguodala had a, it was a Curry-esque relocation corner three that Green fed for him, fed him in the second half, and his shot barely touched the rim. And yeah, those guys' inability to, to make shots really, I think, exposed the absence of Durant in game four more than it had in previous games offensively. I thought game three, the Warriors' issues were really defensive. And then game four, their offense had its worst game of the playoffs by far. And it's really where you saw the absence of Durant on the offensive end of the floor because the Raptors just ignored everybody that wasn't Stephen Curry and, and Clay Thompson when they were on the perimeter. You know, they press up on Green when he had the ball outside, but once he gave it up, they, you know, Pascal Siakam would drop back into the paint and just stand there and wait and help on, you know, all the actions that they were running for Curry and Thompson. The same thing, Kawhi Leonard has basically been, been able to do the same thing. Basically, they're guarding Curry and Thompson with, you know, Van Vliet, Lowry, and Danny Green. And so that allows Siakam and, and Kawhi Leonard, who are two athletic and long defenders, to just sort of roam and help help out in places. And that's obviously, it makes things tough offensively for the for Golden State. So if Durant plays in game five, he then now engages at least one of those two guys and then makes things um, a lot more difficult for the Raptors defensively. So let's get to this, to the Durant situation. As far as we know right now, the, he is listed as questionable for game five. That is obviously an upgrade from his status for games three and four, where he was basically, he was ruled out the day before for both of those games. I mean, obviously we don't know what he's feeling, how he's feeling. Um, he did take the practice floor on Sunday afternoon uh, briefly, he could be taking the floor for shoot around Monday morning here in Toronto. I think his absence has been felt on both ends of the floor. I think we know that. Sean, I, I don't, I don't know if you, sh- if we should make a prediction as to wh- whether he will play. But how much of a difference can Kevin Durant make if he plays Game Five? Well, I'm just going to head, go ahead and say he's going to play. You don't upgrade a player to questionable and then he doesn't play. Uh, I mean, I mean, there was no need to do that. So, no, I think he's going to play. I think the bigger question is, how long is he going to be on the floor and how effective can he be? I mean, being thrown into the intensity of the NBA Finals after having not played for a month and and not only being thrown in there, uh, being asked to do something, be a presence, get the respect of the Toronto defense, and on the other end, be able to make some stops. I think the biggest issue he will probably he's probably going to have is defensively. I, I think he can probably only guard like Marcus Gasol. Uh, I think the Raptors will try to exploit him right away if the uh, Warriors put him on anyone else, anybody who can score or anyone who is mobile. Like for example, if you put him on Pascal Siakam, Siakam will just run him through screens. So I think you got to hide him a little bit defensively, just if, if for no other reason to preserve him, to allow him to play most of the game. Uh, again, we're talking about a player who's 
who hasn't played in a month. So there are two issues in play. Number one, his timing. Uh, number two, his his stamina. Uh, not that he's totally out of shape or anything, but when you miss a month, you know, you got to get your wind. Uh, so how can he help the Warriors? Well, he can help the Warriors by hitting shots, but he can also help the Warriors just by being a presence on the floor. Suddenly, Toronto's defense will have to, at least temporarily, will have to respect him. You know, they're not going to leave him open. You know, he's going to have to earn the respect after a few minutes by hitting some jumpers. But initially, Toronto's going to have to respect him. And that will free up Steph Curry. That will free up Clay Thompson. That will reduce uh, the pressure that Draymond Green feels whenever he gets the ball beyond the three-point line and there's, you know, nobody guarding him. And by the way, how come Draymond doesn't have a mid-range jumper? I mean, for, for a guy who can't shoot a three-pointer, why is it that this stage of his career, he's still standing beyond the three-point arc? Dude, come up with a mid-range jumper. Reinvent yourself. Make yourself useful in the offensive end. Of course, that's a discussion for another day. We're here to talk about Kevin Durant right now. He just basically has to make his presence felt and his presence known. You know, there are two big stories remaining here in the NBA Finals. One is if the Raptors win tonight to be able to clinch on their home court. The other story is that Kevin Durant not only plays, but plays well and helps the Warriors come back from 3-1 down and they win their third championship in a row. So those would be two stunning stories tonight. I want at least one of those to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the Durant situation is a bigger picture than just these finals. You know, it's it's fascinating just in regard to his free agency and how he looks at it and says, you know, oh, you know, maybe this team needs me. Um, and I, and people, maybe he cares about what people think from the outside and, and whether the, the, the Warriors need him to win, uh, maybe it affects what other, you know, I, I guess what other teams feel about him or what other, how it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating. I, I don't know how to even put it to words, just like the, the, uh, the ramifications both with this series and with free agency in regard to Durant and how the Warriors have done without him. I think if he does play, the Raptors will defend him as if he's the real Kevin Durant. Like they're not going to think that he's not going to be Kevin Durant when he steps on the floor. Um, I think that's uh, pretty obvious. Um, the interesting thing will be if he plays, how much does Golden State now play small? Because obviously Durant being there allows them the the versatility to play Draymond Green at center. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, especially in the last couple of games, has been a disaster probably on, on, on both ends of the floor. We'll see if he continues to start, whether or not, whether Durant plays or not. Um but even if Cousins starts, we can't. I can't imagine him playing more than a, a few minutes in each half. And like I said, having Durant now unlocks the uh, the Draymond Green at, at at five lineup, and we could see a lot of that Hamptons five lineup: Curry, Thompson, Iguodala, Durant, and and Draymond Green. And you know that will be fascinating because you know uh, Toronto plays big, and they even played a little bit of Gasol and Ibaka together in in Game Four for the first time in this series. It was a look that we, they use a lot in Philadelphia or against Philadelphia, not uh, against Milwaukee at all, I don't think, and then not in this series whatsoever until Game Four. 
Um, you know, how does, how does uh, Toronto match up if, if the Warriors go small? That'll be kind of a, a thing to watch. But even if Durant plays, I think the, the Warriors need a little bit more from their supporting cast, whether it be Iguodala or Green making shots. They need something, maybe something from Quinn Cook or Alfonso McKinney coming off the bench. You know, Cook was 0-4 or whatever in game four. Um, he had a big game two, but struggled once they went back home. Sean, do you have a – what do you think? Like, you, you, I, I know you know – I know you think that Duran is going to play. Um, do you think we're going back to Oakland for game six? Uh, no, uh, I don't think we're going back. Um, I think that – first of all, I don't think the city of Toronto and the fans will allow the plane to leave. Uh, even if the <laughs> Raptors if – the, if the Raptors were to somehow lose this game, there's just no way. They, they will uh, remove all the gas from the charter – and basically just keep the Raptors here, it would be such, such a disappointment for a city that, again, for the last 24, 48 hours has been basically bracing for victory. They're not even thinking of anything else. It hasn't even entered their mind that they could be camping out in front of Scotiabank Arena for no reason, for a lot. So I do think the Raptors win. I think it's, that's a, an undue amount of pressure on Kevin Durant to come back and to, and to be the hero. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned something about Kevin Durant's free agency. Uh, I don't think it affects it one way or the other. I think come July 1st, you know, teams are going to give him whatever he wants. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, mm. Even the Warriors. Yeah, obviously. But it's, I mean, I don't know if it affects his thinking whatsoever or, or his thinking versus like the, the outside opinion of him. He seems, he seems a little bit how I say he he seems to care a little bit about the narrative regarding him and the Warriors and sort of him joining a team that won 73 games and yeah. and whether or not they needed him to win the championships or whether and or whether he was just a luxury. Obviously, in this case, um, they're down three one without him. And that obviously is uh, is different than it was in, in years past. So I think it's just about perspective or outside perspective and whether he cares about that or not. Yeah, and he's a very—he's far too sensitive than he should be. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to be fair to him. We haven't heard anything from him since he's been hurt. Uh, he hasn't been on social media, hasn't talked to the media. So yes, while we can definitely take that assumption that you know that whole they don't need Kevin Durant narrative was bothering him, he really hasn't made his thoughts on that clear. So I want to be fair to him in that respect. But um, yeah, I, I think that for Durant, um, for if he were to come back, have a good game, the Warriors win uh, game five, and then they win the series. Uh, I, I'm not sure how he would be able to top that because number one, the que question about his toughness would suddenly disappear. Question about who is the best player in the NBA, that would disappear because right now it's Kawhi Leonard, but that would disappear. Uh, he would, that would just be the, uh, a crowning achievement on a player who still, whose career still has several years to go. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure how he would be able to top that. As I said before, there are two big stories that can happen here. Raptors wrap this thing up tonight and, and Toronto, the city of Toronto explodes or Kevin Durant leaves his team back from a three, one deficit. I, as a reporter who, who craves, I don't care who wins. I crave stories as a reporter. I want one of those two things to happen. Yeah, uh, and as a parent, I'm I would be happy going home on uh, Tuesday, but that's <laughs> you know neither of us control anything, so it doesn't matter what we what we wish or 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 want to see. Game five is tonight, Monday, uh, nine p.m. Eastern on ABC. 
I have no prediction. I have no idea what's going to happen. I, I, I've every playoff game I've come with just absolutely no expectations whatsoever. Um, and I, I seriously, I, I think both, you know, even with or without Kevin Durant, Golden State can win any game that they're on the floor for as long as they have Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. And the Raptors, you know, they, maybe they, they took things to a new level in game four, um, and maybe they can uh, continue that in game five, and maybe they get caught up in, in the anticipation of, of winning a championship and, 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 and let the, the pressure of, 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 of winning the championship for Toronto get to them. We'll see. Um, they've been a pretty steady and focused group so far. Um, here we are, game five Toronto Raptors unbelievably a team that was down 2-1 to Philadelphia um in a tight game four almost you know a possession or two away from going down three to one to Philly a possession or two uh, away from going down 3-0 to Milwaukee in a game that went uh double overtime and here they are 3-1 in the finals against the two-time defending champs um it's pretty amazing. I think uh, game five is going to be fun no matter what happens. So please tune in and uh, enjoy the game. We will be back uh, next week. Follow NBA.com and NBA TV for complete coverage of the finals. Sean has a, a game five preview up. I have a, a film study about game four and how exactly um, the Raptors defended the Durantless Warriors. Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to leave a review. Uh, we're going to get my man Sekou Smith back here soon Soon for Sean Powell and John Hartzell producing from Behind the Glass. I'm John Schumann. Thanks for listening.